Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the show, Lizzie. I find myself for the second day in a row wearing sturdy shoes to work. Uh, Yesterday, it's because I was worried about falling over in the snow. Uh, But today, it's to make sure that I can get to my after-work destination uh, because it's uh, first of our train strikes in the RMT. It is the winter of discontent. It's already here. And yes, we're having strikes across all the sectors, aren't we? We've had advent calendar of strikes, as I've told you before, but incredibly frustrating. I don't know how I'm going to get home today. Uh, something I'm sure that the striking workers are saying it's incredibly frustrating that they are have been driven to this end by in their quest for pay rises. We had the Unison uh, Union accept a pay offer uh, from Network Rail, but it is the RMT who are carrying out the first of their 48-hour strikes this week. And as we saw in the jobs data this morning from the Office for National Statistics, the gap between public and private sector wages is again at its widest on record. So really adding pressure to the government to come to the negotiating table. Yeah, now earlier on, Lizzie, you and Tom McKenzie were speaking to the RMT's Assistant General Secretary, John Leach, to tell us why it is that they are on strike today. We just uh, are very straightforward in this. We put the deal to our members, they voted it down, we don't accept it. And of course, on the other side of this dispute, because there's two parts to it, what we call the train operating companies, um, they didn't offer uh, the same deal, they offered an inferior deal. Uh, and the productivity and the um, uh, cuts that they wanted in return for a 4 and 4% uh, pay rise was uh, beyond the pale. I mean, they wanted every ticket office to close. They wanted new contracts for staff. They wanted mm. guards to be taken off of the trains. And we, we just can't go near there. So highly provocative, in our opinion, um, yeah. government-led. Public opinion is important for you in the lead up to Christmas. You could have this Mm -hmm. all turn against you. There could be a big backlash, John. There could be. And what I would say to those people that are frustrated by the industrial action that they're seeing um, is uh, hear us out on this. Let's examine the facts. I mean, our members have now been taking continuous strike action uh, since the not every day, but, you know, from time to time. And they're seriously out of pocket too. Don't expect any sympathy for that. But what the public needs to ask itself, and I would, you know, say to them is, what would you expect your union to do when your contract's been potentially ripped to shreds? And we saw that on P&O, where the entire workforce was sacked by email. What would you do if you haven't had a pay rise for three years, but your employers are making 500 million quid a year profit? What would you do if wholesale redundancies were being proposed and at the same time you know the government is preventing your employer from negotiating and cutting a deal with us you'd expect your union to stick up for you and that's what we're doing and it's what a union should do 
you, you talked about the fact that you've, you've come to some resolution with other uh, governments within the United Kingdom. You point to Scotland. What, what is the <clears> difference then between, between the government in London, Westminster, uh, and the government up in Scotland? And how far are you away from a potential deal? How big is that gulf when it comes to your negotiations with Westminster? Well, we're a long way away because in, in, unless the actual boss wants to reach out and shake across the table, so to speak, we don't quite do it like that. There has to be a vote and all that. But unless they want to do that, there's you, you can't cut the deal. But we did it in Scotland. We did it in Wales. We, we did it with the mayor of London um, uh, over pay or we have his, our issues with him about other matters. It can be done. We do the business. We are negotiators and we know we don't get everything we want. But what we can't do is live on thin air so you say it can be done you say it can Mm -hmm. be done the opposition labor leader Keir starmer has admitted that the nurses demands are unaffordable would you recommend that your members don't vote labor at the next election do you reckon you'll have an easier time with Keir starmer or rishi sunak i'm not going to get into a debate about the next general election but i'm going to go on the track record of the current government we've had three prime ministers three secretaries of state uh, for transport since this dispute started last summer. Their, their their approach to this dispute has been appalling. They are disinterested. The first Secretary of State wouldn't meet us. The second one did. The third one now is telling us to accept below inflation pay rises um, whilst at the same time sitting on a profit-making uh, process for the train operating companies. The politicians running the country at the moment are the ones we have to deal with. They are behind this dispute. They have a political agenda and they're trying to divide working people. So you heard from John Leach, RMT Assistant Secretary, Assistant General Secretary there, speaking to me and Tom McKenzie earlier. I have to say, Stephen, it really was a lukewarm, if completely non-committal uh, backing of of Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, who leads supposedly the party of the unions. Well, let's speak to Andy McDonnell, the Labour MP from Middlesbrough, who joins us now. Andy, thank you very much for being with us. I mean, on that point, is is the Labour Party doing enough to support unions in these disputes? Well, I was present uh, at Frances O'Grady's um, um, leaving event. She's, uh, she's stopped being the General Secretary of the TUC. And Keir spoke very warmly not only of Francis but also of the um, uh, unequivocal commitment to uh, trade unions and their causes so I I was delighted uh, to hear that that was the case and he's made the point continually um, that um, the the people are struggling and and it's as a result of this government's uh, failed handling of the economy over the last 12 years, we're in the situation because of the decisions that they've made and their incompetence, and that would not be happening under a Labour government. Well, you're also pitching to be the party of business. These strikes are holding back growth. Some companies are, are talking about having to close because of the disruption. How could you be both the party of the unions and the party of business? Well, you can be party of, uh, of both. It's essential that we're party uh, party of uh, both business and trade unions. Uh, I don't know further than the successful Welsh Welsh government under Mark Gregford in his promotion of partnership uh, working, and that's exactly what's coming out of the the Labour Party front bench uh, right now. So that it's essential. Uh, but ultimately, you've got to have an economy that works for working people, and it currently doesn't. Um, they are being made to pay the price of incompetence in the handling of the economy over these last many years. And of course, we've just had visited upon us 
a massive insult to the economy with that crazy uh, mini budget uh, and had the uh, economy not taken the hit that it, it, it has, we'd be in a position to make sure that every public sector worker got a, a decent uh, pay rise so they could put food on the table and heat their homes. That's not where we are at the moment. Um, so, you know, we, we, we've got to be the party of both business and uh, uh, trade and, and unions and working people. But ultimately, it's about improving living standards for the people of this nation. And that's got to be the focus. And we are so well, far away from that now uh, that it's, um, it, it's, ter- it's terrifying for many, many people. Well, when it comes to the rail disputes, you know, the, the offer was good enough for the Unite Union. Shouldn't the RMT, get, you know, accept it as well and, and bring to an end the disruption that's causing more hardship to people who are having difficulty getting to work and living their lives? Well, Stephen, it, it, Unite represents a very small number of people, about 100 people in the overall dispute. So um, th- that you've got to get that into a sense of proportion opposite the, the tens of thousands represented by the the RMT, but ultimately you had a deal that was capable of being put to the membership for their consideration. And at the last minute, of course, Mark Harper uh, comes in and does his master's bidding and brings driver-only operation into the negotiation at the last moment, preventing people from taking a a discussion forward that will bring about a resolution of this dispute. So it's perfectly obvious that this is politically motivated by the government. They see this as their uh, National Union of Miners moment, and they're going to do everything they can to try to grind the RMT into the dust. And they're not succeeding. They've just reballoted on this under these draconian uh, trade union laws and had a, a, an incredible turnout again. I think it was 83% and two-thirds of those voted to reject. So they're being incredibly courageous because they go without wages to do this. They're making a stand. For themselves and, of course, for the rest of the working people in this nation. Keir Starmer's admitted that the nurses' demands are unaffordable. Why would public sector workers vote for Labour in the next election, given this position? Well, for many reasons, um, not least of which would be the uh, the New Deal for Working People that I worked on for uh, a, a very long uh, time with our trade unions, putting together uh, a, a complete reconfiguration of the relationship in the workplace so that people were not going to work and having to uh, live in poverty. It would be a direct attack on in-work poverty, doing away with some of the terrible divisions that occur in our society and pitting worker against worker and allowing people uh, the most fragile and insecure working conditions. It would deal with all of those things. So there's there's a complete recalibration of the economy and the world of work under Labour, which will transform our country. That's why people should be voting Labour at the next election. But to the average public sector worker, it sounds like your offer is exactly the same as the Tories. Well, I don't think that's that that's the, that's the case. But you know, I I, I don't speak from a front bench position, um, but I've I, you, you'll know my history um, that I've I've made it clear that nurses uh, should be restored uh, to their 2010 standard of living. They've, they've seen their wages go backwards. I think I saw figures in the last uh, few days that shows in real terms, nurses are 20, 30% poorer than they were in, in 2010. That's mm. not sustainable. It's not acceptable. You won't recruit people to our National Health Service uh, if you continue with that mantra, unless, of course, you okay. want to destroy it in the first place. 
which you know I, I'm starting to think that that might be the the true agenda here because we okay. need to retain, we need to recruit, we need to pay people a proper wage for the work they do. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. As we're talking about strike action in so many sectors in the UK, new figures show that wages are rising at their close to their fastest pace on record. But the 6.1% growth is still less than the rate of inflation. The data also show the number of people unavailable for work fell by 76,000, boosting employment levels. Earlier we spoke to Chris Gray, UK Director for Manpower Group, about whether job cuts are looming given the gloomy economic outlook. I think what we're seeing actually is um, some of that is potentially coming down the track, but we're just not seeing it hit the pit face at the moment. Um, we're seeing, we've seen certainly a shift from recruitment to retention, um, whilst employers try and fill the vacancies that they just haven't been able to fill in the previous period. But at this moment in time, I think people are hopeful that we can punch through Q1, hold on to the people that they've got at the moment, and hopefully see some growth uh, coming out of Q1 into Q2 next year. So um, still, I think, moving forward with caution, not reducing workforce at the moment. In terms of wage growth, when we're seeing that 6.1% figure, you know, the highest on record outside of the pandemic years, is that in line with what you're seeing in terms of what employers are having to offer to be able to recruit at the moment? Does it seem low? Because we're talking about pay claims much in excess of that for other people. So I think the way I would differentiate the way we look at pay is the offer rates for new workers going into new jobs has calmed down. There's been a feeding frenzy, if you will, during the course of the last 12, 18 months. And those offer rates hit some high extremes as they were trying to track talent, employers trying to attack talent. Um, so there are still stro- still strong starting rates for scarce skills or demand skills. But as I mentioned earlier, they're shifting their focus, employers are shifting their focus to, to investing in, in retention. And, and, and 6% is in the ballpark. I think there are some employers who are trying to support their employees with one-offs um, because that doesn't lock into ongoing you know, salary commitments in the in the future, but offering salary commitments which are more sustainable in the first instance and then looking to increase those next year as well. Seeing that growth in employment is interesting, um, given there has been all of these concerns about participation in the labour force. Uh, I'm wondering if if that 
a start of a trend? Is this going to be people coming back into the workforce? We know there's been lots of concerns about things like long COVID uh, keeping the participation rate down. Well, we hope so. Um, of the 600 odd thousand um, increased in activity in workers or ex-workers, about two thirds of that were down to long-term sick. Um, and then uh, the rest were made up of a myriad of, of, of cohorts, including students and retirees. But retirees were actually a small proportion of the increase. So hopefully, um, I think what we've seen is some of the, the, the 50 to 64-year-olds coming back into the workforce who have been represent or, or represent a large proportion of that long-term sick. Um, but it's, it, you know, we're not seeing obvious signs. We're seeing some ticking in the right direction of people coming back into the workforce, but it's not in, uh, in, in large volumes at this moment in time. Okay, so that's Chris Gray, the UK Director of Manpower Group, speaking to us a little bit earlier on. So how does the UK fix its labour market problem and get young people and those who've left the workforce back into a career? Multiverse is the UK's largest education technology company worth $1.7 billion. And joining us now is their policy lead, Donia Sony-Clark. Donia, thanks so much for being with us. To me, it's baffling. We're in a cost of living crisis. How do you explain people dropping out of the workforce? Of course, there are older people, people with savings, levels of ill health that are related to the NHS backlog. But first and foremost, a lot of these people are 16 to 35. They're feeling the pinch. How are they even paying their way? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting question. And and we're hearing a lot of this from the businesses that we work with. And and as you said, it's reflected when you look at the numbers that came out this morning and and the numbers that we're continuing to see. Um, I think that the main problem is that it's it's an economy of two different sides of the coin. So on the first side of the perspective, people are dropping out of the labour market for a number of reasons, health, mental health, etc., um, and secondly, there's just a huge number of vacancies that employers are struggling to fill. Uh, what we're seeing is that there is a large amount of jobs in certain sectors that are potentially lower paid, but there's also a large amount of jobs in sectors that are high paid, such as data and software engineering. And those are areas where universe, the university system is just failing to produce enough high quality graduates. So I think that there is a situation where people aren't able to get the jobs that they would like in order to survive because they don't necessarily have the skills to enter into that labour market. So how do you solve that problem then? How do you incentivize those those workers to sign up to retrain if that's what's necessary or enter an apprenticeship programme to get them into a sector that is hiring? I think it's a really good question. And the first and foremost thing that needs to happen is awareness. Uh, I think that there isn't necessarily as much awareness about the benefits of apprenticeships as that there could be. I think a lot of people are often caught unawares about the fact that you can earn while you learn and gain a wage uh, while you are also gaining a qualification. Um, I often have situations where I enter conversations and people ask me what I do and I say apprenticeships and they say, oh, what's that? And I think that that's really interesting because there's scope to actually create a campaign that demonstrates what the benefit of apprenticeships are. And while there is a huge focus on young people entering apprenticeships, therefore the campaigns being focused on young people, I think that there is definitely benefit of individuals who are re-entering the workplace after a period of leave, whether that's parental leave or long-term sick, also understanding that there are benefits of apprenticeships and reskilling into a sector they may not have considered before. 
So your CEO, Ewan Blair, was spotted leaving number 11 Downing Street last week. I wonder what he spoke to the Chancellor about and whether Multiverse will have a role in the UK's strategy going forward to bring up productivity and grow the economy. Yeah, well, I think the government is definitely seeing the problem and they're hearing the same things that we're hearing from businesses, and that's that there's a skill shortage. What we're saying to the government and what we're saying to everyone is that when you drill down on the problem that and see that it comes down to skill shortages, really apprenticeships are the answer because they have the potential to not only skill close the skills gap, but are actually create a new generation of diverse talent as well. That's what we've been um, saying to, to everyone that will listen. Is this about getting people to, to reassess their, I suppose, prejudices about the necessity of a university education and, you know, how people are pushed more generally in that direction. And how do we do that? How do we encourage people to think more laterally about their career choices and training? Absolutely. I think that we are actually starting to see a big shift in public attitudes towards apprenticeships. Those people that actually know about apprenticeships definitely favour them over a lot of other options because they see the potential of you know, potentially even getting a degree without any debt uh, through degree apprenticeships. Um, and actually, the, the key driver for change is changing the opinion of, of parents. Uh, parents are often the biggest influence on their children, regardless of where they come from and where, where in the UK that they live. And getting parents to consider apprenticeships will be one of the biggest changers, in our opinion. But isn't it true, just going back to the jobs data from the ONS today, that fundamentally we do have people who are capable of work, but they're not working? Yeah, and I think that the data, you know, with numbers, it's really hard to see the story behind the numbers. Um, I think that COVID did a huge number on a huge amount of people. And as you said, long COVID, but a large proportion of people are also looking after older parents or children that may be sick. And I think that th- there's a wider problem here around caring responsibilities and and the general issues with re-entering the workplace after a period of leave, whatever the reason for the leave might be. Donny, there was a re- recent report done for the Sutton Trust about the, the type of people that are going into apprenticeships and that they're being largely dominated by the middle classes is that a problem and and you know how do we how do we tackle that yeah absolutely whether it's a problem or not is is actually a really interesting question because ultimately what we are trying to do is popularize apprenticeships for everyone regardless of where you come from um and actually the answer to this is not to prioritize places for certain groups but to actually just create a large amount of more opportunity so that everyone has an opportunity to access apprenticeships. But that inevitably in means of, that the middle classes will gain the system, doesn't it? it the, there are some policy interventions that can be made that will allow people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds to, to have a sort of similar playing field when entering apprenticeships. And actually one of those is creating uh, so removing the requirement to have level two English and maths to complete an apprenticeship because we believe that that is actually stopping people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds from entering apprenticeships. So that's something that we've been continuously lobbying the government on. 
Thank you so much for joining us. That's Donia Sony Clark, policy lead at Multiverse, the education technology company. Really fascinating discussion, Stephen. Yeah, especially on the day, as you say, that we've had that data that gives us an insight into the continued tightness of the labour market despite the cost of living crisis. In terms of other political events to watch out for today, the Prime Minister set to give a statement to the House of Commons on tackling illegal immigration. Business Secretary Grant Shapps is also going to get his first outing in front of the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Select Committee. This afternoon, lots of questions, of course, about things like energy costs going to come up at that as well. There's also going to be the House of Commons tackling foreign office questions um, and also a ruling on free, uh, a 10-minute motion uh, from Labour's Zara Sultana on offering free school meals for all primary school children. That's some of the events coming up uh, later on in Westminster. Well, that's it from us for today. Don't forget that you, if you like the programme, you can subscribe to us. They give us five stars. Whether people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you usually listen. This episode was produced by James Wilcock and Marufal Hussain was on sound. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.